Oh, it's good to be with you this evening. What a blessing it is, either here in person or online. We have this great blessing to come together and see the faithfulness of God. And so tonight we, uh, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, when Jesus is in the Garden, he's engaged in spiritual warfare. We have a lot to dig into, so I want to get right to it. But first, I just want to share a little bit about me. Some of you know that I love board games. Absolutely love them. All board games, strategic board games are my favorite. Playing with my friends, my family. Uh, and uh, Angel would say that uh, I probably beat her in board games more than I should. Um, but I lose to my family a lot. One of my favorite board games of all time is the game Risk. Risk is a game of warfare. I'm trying to conquer everything on the board, every territory. And when you're playing the game of Risk, you will eventually make alliances and treaties with people, and as a result, you will also get betrayed from your alliances and your treaties. If you've ever played, you know that that's true. You conquer South America, and you're getting extra troops, and then someone from North America or Africa will attack it and make you not get extra people. Betrayal is a huge part of the game Risk. And betrayal is a common reality that we experience in board games and TV shows and movies and books, and unfortunately, in our own lives as well. We experience betrayal in small and big ways. Perhaps you also have been betrayed when playing a board game by a friend or a family member. Sorry is a really big one. Or maybe you've experienced betrayal in a TV show or movie with one of your favorite characters. For example, Dwight from The Office, or Irene Adler from Elementary, Gollum from Lord of the Rings, or my favorite, Cypher from The Matrix. If you haven't seen that, it's one of the most epic betrayals in all of cinematic history. But those are small betrayals. Sometimes betrayal is big. Like a, when a friend goes behind our back. Or when a co-worker throws us under the bus. Or, or maybe perhaps when a relationship falls apart. When betrayal happens, it highlights those that we can trust and those we can be vulnerable with. And tonight we'll see Jesus experience betrayal and denial. But he'll also be able and willing to express vulnerability and trust. But before we dig into God's word and we see how Jesus is able to accomplish this, let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you, to give you all the praise that you are deserving of. And God, as we dig into your word and we learn and we grow and we understand how better to be vulnerable with you, may it be your word spoken and not mine. And may we glorify you forever and ever. So we've been uh, working our way through the Gospel of Mark throughout this whole series. And through this series, we've uh, 
we continue to walk through the final moments and days of Christ leading up to the cross. And we focused on laying down different items in our lives, including our reputation, our pride, our doubt, our worries, and our fear, and more. But when I think about laying down, I guess as a youth pastor, I don't know, the first thing that comes to my brain is literally laying down. We lay down to rest, to relax, to sleep. And laying down, it puts you in a vulnerable state. If you don't believe me, try doing this. Or try going on a youth retreat, lock-in, or mission trip, and you'll quickly realize how vulnerable a state laying down or sleeping can be. Gary Maslowski can uh, attest to that one. But laying down makes you vulnerable. And vulnerability is scary. It's scary because it means that we have to let go of things that make us feel in control. Throughout this series, we've been looking at laying down and letting go of the things that make us feel in control and trusting in God's plan and provision and in His experiences of fulfilled promises. Just like I have to trust that when I'm on a mission trip or a youth outing, that they're not going to draw on my face like this guy. And tonight is no different. Tonight we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, a moment in which Jesus has to give up control and to lay down his will. To be extremely vulnerable and to trust the Father's plan. The trust and vulnerability that Jesus expresses with the Father in the Garden is highlighted on either ends of it by betrayal and denial that he would experience. We see that first with the betrayal of Judas in Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 11, that says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to portray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give Judas money. And Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now Judas was one of the twelve. He was one specifically chosen by Jesus. He was one who would have spent close to three years walking with, talking with, experiencing the miracles, and living with Jesus. And even though Jesus would have known the heart of Judas, Jesus still would have loved him deeply. We see that in that he washes his feet just moments earlier. I think Jesus still would have been extremely hurt by the betrayal of Judas. But Judas still would have been considered one of those closest to Jesus on earth. And when Judas decides to betray Jesus, he doesn't just betray Jesus, but all of his closest friends, the disciples. And so this is how we start Mark chapter 14 with betrayal. And then right before the moments in the garden 
Jesus foretells the denial of not just Peter, but of all the apostles. See that in uh, Mark 14, 30 through 31. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is followed by the fulfillment of this prophecy in verses 71 through 72, after the moments in the garden. But Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. You see, during Jesus' most difficult moments on earth, his closest friends and allies, those who had been with him, who had experienced his miracles, who had listened to his teachings, who had lived with him, were nowhere to be found. And so we see this to be true. In the midst of spiritual warfare, Jesus trusted the Father more than those who were closest to him on earth. And why is this important? Because we often do the opposite. In the midst of spiritual warfare, difficulties, challenges, hardships in our lives, we often trust those closest to us on earth before we trust the Father. The people closest to Jesus, the ones that you think Jesus would have been able to rely on during pivotal, pivotal turning point moments, the times that Jesus would have needed them the most, for Jesus, they either deny him or betray him. How often do we turn to people before we turn to God? Jesus even asked his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, those closest, literally his inner circle, to support him during the moments in the garden and couldn't even rely on them. We find that when we look at our scripture for tonight, found in Mark chapter 14, 32 through 41. Only 10 verses, the moments in the garden. Very short, and we're going to hit on that a little bit later, but let's read that. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping a second time, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. 
And can you believe it? Jesus came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. All throughout Scripture, it teaches us that our battle, our warfare, is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness and the darkness of this world. And so how do we respond to spiritual warfare in our own lives? Our example has to be Jesus. Because Jesus here in the garden is in the throes of spiritual warfare. He is up against it and battling, deciding between his own will, his own desires, and being obedient to the Father. Mark describes how Jesus is greatly distressed and troubled, in some translations, filled with terror. Jesus even says, to the point of death. And he's not speaking of the cross, which is to come. He's speaking of the moment in the garden. Why? Because Jesus' humanity doesn't want the cup of God's wrath. And this may be a bold statement, but Jesus wasn't as concerned with the cross and his death. Jesus was concerned and terrified of the wrath of God being poured out on him, to be shunned by the Father and to experience the spiritual death that we deserved. It's in these few moments, this one hour, these 60 minutes, that Jesus shows us the way to face spiritual battles, to endure spiritual battles, and to be victorious over spiritual battles. He turns not to his friends, those closest to him on earth, but he turns to the Father in heaven. He draws away from others, and he draws near to God. And this is how we are to face and to endure and to be victorious in spiritual warfare. We should turn to the Father through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus even admits his own limitations in his humanity and his need for the Father. We see that in this point to be true. In the midst of spiritual warfare, Jesus experienced full vulnerability with the Father through being in his presence and through persistent prayer. Jesus' vulnerability with the Father went far beyond this moment in the garden. This moment in the garden was possible because it was present throughout Jesus' ministry. It was something that Jesus built, something that Jesus worked on, something that Jesus was consistent in. We see Jesus admitting his limitations and his need for the Father in the Gospel of John. John 5.19 So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Again in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in John fifteen ten, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my life, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love.
And then in the Gospel of Luke, we see the frequency in which Jesus is alone with the Father and the amount of time he spends in communication and prayer with him. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And then again, in the Gospel of Mark, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So let's go back to the garden for a moment. Jesus prays at least three different times in the garden. But Jesus was constantly going off, away from the crowds, away from his disciples, away from his friends, early in the morning, late into the evening, to lonely places, to desolate places. Why? To be in the presence of the Father alone. In Luke 5.16, it said, this happened often. It was a regular habit. Jesus was concerned with being in tune with the desires, the will of the Father. And in order for Jesus to be fully vulnerable, to fully trust, to fully lay down his will to the Father's, Jesus had to get to the point where he desired the Father's will more than his own. Talk about challenging. If Jesus is our example, we're called to the same. So we see this to be true. Because of the trust and vulnerability Jesus has with the Father, even amid spiritual warfare, because of the prayer, because of the presence, and because of relying on the Father more than others and himself, Jesus is able to lay down his will for the glory of God in spite of the consequences. The consequences would be huge. This moment in the garden for Christ is pivotal. It's the old Western showdown moment. The spiritual battle is raging. The emotions are high. The pressure is intense. And Scripture says Jesus is terrified to the point of death, stressed to the point of sweating blood, and we're not quite sure how things are going to turn out. We're not quite sure if Jesus will lay down his will. We're not quite sure if Jesus will submit to the Father. We're not quite sure if Jesus will even go through with it. And so it can be so easy for us to skim over these ten verses. Well, it's just Jesus praying in the garden. But it's a moment that's powerful and pivotal. Because this is the moment Jesus commits to taking the cup, taking the price, taking the punishment, taking the wrath that we deserved. It's a moment that's tough to grasp the intensity of in just a few verses. And so I put together a clip that I think will help us visualize just how intense this battle for Christ was. Let's take a look.
Sia Othea Boe. Kuma. Bezerati. Shabreni Mereshetarche. Tomanu Eli. about a battle happening. It may not be like the ones we're used to seeing in our Star Wars or our Marvel movies, but war for humanity was happening in that moment. When Jesus entered the garden, we're not quite sure if he's going to go through or we're not quite sure if he will submit his will, but when Jesus comes out the other side, he had decided to lay down his will, he had decided to pick up his cross, submit to and to trust the Father's plan completely. And if Jesus is our example for life and spiritual warfare, what is our response? Thankfully, Jesus spells that out for us in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, lay down his will, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So what does this mean for us? To be victorious in spiritual warfare like Jesus, what does it mean for us to pick up our cross and to follow him? Well, it means choosing to lay down our will. We're not forced to do it. We choose to lay down our will for the fathers. It means mirroring how Jesus endured. And how did Jesus endure spiritual warfare? Jesus was vulnerable with the Father in difficult moments. Not just the easy ones, but the ones that you wouldn't think you would want to be vulnerable in. In the midst of warfare, Jesus was vulnerable with the Father. He trusted in the Father more than himself or others. Jesus was completely honest with the Father, even stating, I don't really want to do this. If you can do it any other way. But even in his honesty, Jesus was obedient. And Jesus realized his human limitations, his need for the Father, and spent an intense amount of time with him alone. Let's, so let's talk practical. Let's go back to the cot, right? We mentioned earlier that we lay down to relax, to rest, to sleep. And we mentioned earlier how that puts us in a vulnerable state. And while it's true that we are in a vulnerable state, it may be the best thing for us. What we didn't mention earlier is that we choose to lay down. We choose to lay down to relax or to sleep, but also in many other different situations. Think about a toddler playing with its toys and then having a meltdown. A parent of a toddler will tell you it's nap time. And the toddler doesn't want nap time, but it's what the toddler needs most. Even as adults, sometimes what we need most is not to complete our checklist, but it's that 20-minute power nap or just a moment to lay down. Or how, how about at the doctor office or the therapist's office? Laying down there might feel awkward or uncomfortable, especially if something's going on, but it, again, it might be the insight and the healing we need. Even Jesus, who is fully God, struggled in laying down his will. But he did so because it's what he needed to do most. So what do we learn from Jesus' example? We learn that we have to choose to lay down our will, our desires. We learn it puts us in a vulnerable state. And it won't always feel like the most natural or easy thing to do. But we also learn that it can be the exact, exactly what we need to do. So how do we lay down our will? Well, thankfully, Jesus is our example, and he models it really well. He shows us four 
really cool things. One, we choose to relay, rely on God to lay down our will more than ourselves, our friends, or even our families. When spiritual warfare hits, when challenges arise, when difficulties approach, when hardships happen, who do you run to? Who do you run to? Who do you rely on? Number two, we choose to spend enough time with the Father in prayer and presence to know His will. And yes, there are things that are unrevealed to us, but there is so much of God's will revealed to us in Scripture. And in Scripture, God, God says, Come to me, and I will reveal myself to you. But do we spend enough time to know Him? And do we spend enough time to know His will? Number three, we choose to recognize that laying down our will won't always feel natural or easy. Just like the toddler, we may not always want to lay down our will or our desires. And it may not be easy to do so. Because it may come at great cost to us. But again, we look to Jesus' example in the midst of the garden. And number four, we choose to put our faith in God's plan in all circumstances. Yes, the easy one, but including when it's difficult, when it may cause consequences, or when it makes us look crazy to the world. As you see, we, we want to be like Jesus. We desire to be like Jesus. But are we willing to make the sacrifices? Are we willing to spend the time? Are we willing to trust God enough to lay down our will, to lay down our desires, to lay down our control, and to pick up our cross and to follow him. So often, as Christians, we can see ourselves as Jesus in this passage. We can insert ourselves as Jesus, laying down our will for the fathers. But can I challenge us to be honest and transparent for a moment? Are we really relying on God, or are we relying on things and people? money, power, relationships? Are we allowing ourselves to be vulnerable by spending time with God and being honest with Him even when it's scary, even when we, we're not sure how He'll respond? Are we willing to lay down our will even at great cost to ourselves for the glory of God? Let me put it um, this way. I, I think that these words often help us translate this into language that we're used to hearing. Think about it this way. Are you willing to lay down your control? As someone who is a planner and a bit of a perfectionist, this one's tough for me. Are you willing to lay down your choice? Are you willing to lay down your preference? Are you willing to lay down your timeline? That's one that Angel and I have been challenged with recently. Are you willing to lay down your circumstances? Are you willing to lay down your finances? Are you willing to lay down your security, your desires? Are you willing to lay down your will or even your life? For the glory of God. 
Because our example, Jesus, was. And Jesus laid down his will, his desires, not only because he loved us, and he loved us a great deal, but he laid it down because he loved the Father even more. Do we love the Father even more? Tonight, some of us needed to hear and to be challenged with that we are trusting people more than we're trusting God. And if that's you, may I challenge you and encourage you to switch, to trust God more than you trust people. And tonight, some of us needed to hear how to endure spiritual warfare because we're up against it and we're battling and we're like, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. May I encourage you and challenge you that it's through that prayer and that presence with the Father. And not just a little bit of time, but enough time. Look to Jesus as your example. He got away from people for an extended period of time, constantly getting away to be with the Father. And tonight, some of us needed to hear how Jesus loved you so much that he took the cup of God's wrath so that you didn't have to. So that you could experience hope and freedom and life everlasting. To be redeemed and reconciled with the Father. But tonight, all of us, including myself, needed to hear the challenge to lay down our will, to lay down our desires, just like Jesus did, for the will of the Father. And so we're reminded through the garden and the moments just prior to that where Jesus would have celebrated the Last Supper as we celebrate communion. That every time we come to the table, Jesus was willingly laying down his will for the Father at great cost, a great sacrifice. And we're reminded every time we come to the table of the great blessing we experience because Jesus willingly took the cup of wrath we deserved through the experience of the cross. And so, Pastor Tom, please come and lead us in remembering how Jesus laid down his will so that we could do the same.